The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tua T Fitness and the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Star Wars edition. Today we're talking Return of the Jedi. Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man who wishes to free you from carbonite, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hello, Tom. Akiye, muhia, 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 huh? <laughs> you know what's great about that? What? Do you know about the... The backstory of that? That it's Albanian? Oh, I thought it was... I think it's Nigerian. Oh, okay. Or maybe not Nigerian, but... but it is a, it is a foreign language. It yes. is a foreign language, and I think it's from a country in Africa. Okay. And I had read that, you know, people when they... From that country, when they saw the movie, just went apeshit. Yeah. Like being able to hear their own language on screen, even though in he was 1983, just, even though Nine Num was just repeating the same phrase again and again and again. Yeah, <laughs> there is so much alien language dialogue in this film. Mm-hmm. When I came to choose a quotable, I realized I was picking between different kinds of nonsense. <laughs> because the alien language dialogue, or ALD, if you will. Oh, very um, nice. Is far more interesting than the ELD in this <laughs> And it may be a problem that the more memorable lines are ALD rather than ELD. But yeah. on the on the other hand, I really like it because I think one of the downsides of this film is that while Empire was world building, this is world shrinking mm-hmm. on the whole. But yeah. We're introduced, but the the one exception to that is is that we're introduced to a lot of new alien characters and species that feel like it's developing the world in a way that they did in Empire, but they don't yeah. seem to do that in any other respect with this film. Can't disagree, <laughs> and yet good film, very good film. So, ladies they, and gentlemen, s- we- still for me, you know, the second least problematic Star Wars film. <laughs> <laughs> Put that on your poster. There you go. The second least problematic Star Wars film. I would love to see that on a poster. <laughs> I mean, that's that's looking retrospectively. Of course, of course. You know, the from you know back from from Obi Wan to the motion picture. Mm-hmm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking Return of the Jedi. A 1983 film directed by Richard Marquand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> what you've you got, say you've got that? movies like The Legacy, Eye of the Needle, Until September, Hearts of Fire. Do you know any of those movies? No. I think his work is mainly in television. Okay. The one movie that I definitely know is Jagged Edge. Okay, that's good. Yeah. It's a, I I mean, he catches a lot of shit, yeah. Richard Marquand. Um but I, I have some nice things to say about some of his direction in this movie. I do too. Although I do also know that George Lucas wrestled the camera away from him at a few points, so I don't really know who to credit sometimes. 
Oh wow, I'd never heard that story. Yeah, he was he was totally dissatisfied with Mark Hand, and you know this is the beginning of George Lucas as a micromanager. Or this is the point at which he starts right. to like really look over the shoulders of other creatives working with him. Uh, he know. didn't learn a lesson from Empire. No, absolutely. Leave the fucking guy alone. He'll create a what's yeah. considered a a you know middle middle portion of a trilogy masterpiece. Even the special effects people, you know, he cut. Yeah. Um, right significant he took cut about 40 shots i think they said in light and magic that 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 he wasn't happy with right um obviously he ends up doing a prequel trilogy all by himself um so i think i think we're starting to see and i know he was looking over marklin's shoulder all the time and he just didn't like how he was doing things he didn't like how he was uh he was a, i mean he was a stooge as well as i understand it george lucas didn't want to get mm-hmm. his hands dirty and I think also the fact that he couldn't be director for, you know, because of all the uh, Directors Guild stuff. But now are you speaking? Because I know about like the credits thing. There's the, there's yeah, the, there's that. I, there's the fact that, as we know, George Lucas doesn't like to go outdoors, get his hands dirty. But yeah, right. Um, I think so. And, I think... and for those listening, specifically. George Lucas didn't want any credits at the beginning of Star Wars. He got yeah. away with that because all the guilds <clears throat> thought that movie would make no money. Yeah. So when it becomes a runaway hit, they want to try to force him to put credits at the beginning of Empire. And he says, no, I don't want to do that. They fine him. Hmm. And and Kirshner, I believe. Yeah. And he paid it all himself, $250,000, mm-hmm. and then resigned from all, you know, Director's Guild, Writer's Guild. Yeah. Yeah, he's a sort scab, of a fit of rage. The last one, the last yeah. season, it's a big scab. Um, but it, I think, I think Richard Marquand was just a front. Um, but in as I understand it, like I mean, completely this, and totally, like in the sense of George Lucas really directed this. No, or? no, no, not okay. to that extent. But I know, I know that George Lucas directed more of this than he did Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, this is when George Lucas starts to surround himself with yes men rather than collaborators who call him out. Mm-hmm. And so, Mar- he, you know, Marquand, I think, was picked because he was someone who could take orders. But I suppose at some point, Richard Marquand expressed some of his own creativity and George Lucas couldn't take it. <laughs> so it's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. You know, it's all those all those analogies about Lucas turning to the dark side and. You know, he begins right. as, begins as Anakin and ends up as Darth Vader. It's not hyperbole. No, yeah, right. <laughs> well, and that's where we begin. Uh, you know, this movie it dips a little, eighty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Uh, you know, Very from the fair. high the high nineties of the Empire, and I think you can see that. Yeah, it's in the seventy five to eighty range, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, a budget of thirty-two point five million, which I think is the most in the original trilogy. An opening weekend of twenty-three million dollars in the USA, three hundred and nine point three million, and in the world, four hundred seventy-five point one million dollars. So, another smash hit. Mm-hmm. Deservedly so. We could not get enough. I was in the fifth grade when this movie came out. Have I? I think was... I've told this story before on the podcast, haven't I? When my my fifth grade teacher, who I loved and adored, came in and, uh, you know, 
back then it was very unusual for a movie to come out on a Wednesday. Yes. Happens yeah. all the time now. Mm -hmm. But pretty much back then it was Star Wars sequels or Indiana Jones sequels, and that was almost it, you know? Wow, they really did. I mean, in so many ways, that generation just redefined film going yeah. in a way that is still with us today. Right. It's funny. Yeah. And, you know, so the one thing I remember more than anything was I, w I wasn't going to be allowed to see it on an opening night on a school night. I had to wait for the weekend. But I remember Mrs. Bickford coming into class on Thursday and she had taken her son, Patty, to go see the movie. And she said, now, I don't want to ruin anything for you, but Darth Vader is Luke's father and Leia is his sister. Oh, my God. And it was sort of the original spoiler for me, you know? This woman would have, in, in today's era of toxic fandom, that, that woman would have been decapitated there and there. I know, yeah. Like it would have been like Children of the Corn. You'd have all in taken her out. You'd have all taken career. her out and burned her on a giant corn husk <laughs> crucifix. Right. Children of the Corn style. <laughs> yeah, in an otherwise illustrious career as a great educator, that was mm. her one big mistake. Uh, my mum did something similar with The Force Awakens. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> After me specifically telling her not to drop a particular spoiler about that movie, that was the first thing that came out of her mouth. Is it Han Solo? Went... <laughs> yes, indeed. Of course. Um, I remember... Now, to be fair, one, it's hysterical. And two, I think it... I th You know, this... The picture came out at least a month after The Force Awakens opens, but I just saw a car, and on the back was a sign that just says Han Solo dies. <laughs> <laughs> and that's funny. It is, yeah, it's it's very funny. Um, but but I th you we're know, not I, talking about that movie. We're well, there was a, no, but there was a different added. There was definitely. I mean, this that was the Force Awakens, so my mother has no excuse. But uh, at least in the early eighties, I don't think we had the same attitude to spoilers we have now. Yeah, correct. In fact, you know, I'm pretty sure that some of the um, um, auxiliary material merchandising around Return of the Jedi would have probably contained those spoilers as well. Mm -hmm. Because they just didn't track that kind of thing, you know. They yeah, released, right. They released like uh, tie-in books and records um, prior to the film coming out with and novelizations and that sort of thing. Just like with all the information that's in the film, mm -hmm. um, we we just don't do that anymore. Yeah. All right. Well, where do we begin? We always begin uh, at the beginning. I mean, let's talk one. This movie again, you know a special Academy Award just for this movie, yeah. visual effects. Oh, could not agree more. Yeah. But best art direction, best sound, best effects, sound, uh, or best effects, yeah. best this sound This is some effects. of the best sound in any film I've ever seen. Best music. Some of the best sound editing, sound effects editing in any film I've ever seen. I'm not just mm -hmm. talking Star Wars here. I think John, John Williams maybe owns Empire. Ben Burr owns Return of the Jedi for me. Okay. In terms of sound. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, I mean, should we talk it right up at the front about the amount of shit this movie gets and whether or not it should get that much shit? I think we, I mean, I think we can... Or we kind of talk, talk about that as we go. Talk that about that as we go. I think that's the best way to sort of deal with it. 
I mean, I've already set out my stall, which is that I understand why people have problems with this movie. And yeah, I do too. Retrospectively, it looks like the gateway to a lot of bad tendencies in the franchise. But interesting, interestingly, and I'll just put this out there here, and you'll be very surprised by this that you will not see this coming. (laughs) Watching the movie this time makes me blame people like J.J. Abrams less than I did. For some of the mistakes that they make going forward. Oh, that's interesting. Because the roots of that are definitely here mm-hmm. in very specific ways that they pick up because, you know, they're talentless hacks. They don't know any better. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, you know, they, but uh, the bad habits they picked definitely picked up from, from this film. Mm hmm. You know, you, there's a so are, what are we there's talking? Are we talking specifically about bringing back another Death Star? Well, I hadn't even thought about that. Um, okay, <laughs> that's absolutely right. true. <laughs> well, you know, and even going back to Empire, you know, like having a having a different kind of stormtrooper every movie. Mm-hmm. Like by the time we get to Rise of Skywalker and they fly now, it's like. You can't really lay that at J.J. Abrams' door. He's just doing what the franchise has always done. Right. So it's it's stuff like that. And there's a few of them. There's a few of those moments in here. And we'll talk about them as we go. Where, I, you know, uh, I'll give... I'll give... Um, I'll give future directors and producers from this franchise a benefit of the doubt based on the fact that they are... That the rot started here. I suppose. But I also... I'll also stick up for this original trilogy in this sense, whenever I saw a new stormtrooper, when I see the stormtroopers on Hoth and I see the stormtroopers on Endor, for some reason, those stormtroopers also seem to match the terrain that they're in. Well, the difference is talent, right? Talent and context. There you go. (laughs) The ability to do something well versus the the inability to do something well and the ability to make it part of a world... Uh, versus uh, someone who has no comprehension of how to do that. All right. <laughs> shots shots fired everyone. Well no it's not I was I was trying to like I was trying to you know unload my gun if anything. But well, I seem to say, I seem to have loaded a bigger I seem to have somehow loaded a bigger gun whilst unloading this uh this one I already had. Yeah, right now you're layup. I'm in a John Woo. I'm in a John Woo movie. Yeah, I'm in a John Woo movie now. (laughs) Got multiple guns going at once. There's fucking doves flying in your closet. (laughs) That's the last time I try to be nice to J.J. Abrams. All right, is that what you were doing? Clearly, I'm not. Clearly, I'm not mentally capable of it. Is that what you were doing? Yeah, it started off that way. I don't know. I, I was trying see, to give the guy the guy a break for all his horrible mistakes. Yeah, I also remember the words "talentless hack." <laughs> but the, you know that that's it's it's better to is it I don't know is it better to say I give him a pass because he doesn't know any better. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> Jesus. Well, I mean, he doesn't. What what evidence is there that he knows what he's doing? Anyway, that's a discussion for another time. Oh. Wow. Why is that controversial? Star Wars fandom came to the same conclusion that I did. I just came to it earlier. I 
Anyway, we're not talking about that. Let's, I, yeah, I'm not. We gonna, can't go I'm down not, that. I'm road. not going got, down that road. I've got 50 this is pages be a of long notes enough here. Podcast as it is. Yes. I was trying to be nice, and I'm never going to try that again. All right, fine. Uh, <laughs> hey, can I ask you something? You sure can. Is it about J.J. Abrams? No, it's about the crawl. Yeah, I've got a lot to say about the crawl. Carry on. Do you? Go, but ask me the question. Well, my question is, I had Mandela affected something. Oh, interesting. In which I was certain that when the crawl started, I was going to see Luke Skywalker, comma, now a Jedi Knight. Oh. And I was watching the original version, and that wasn't there. And I thought, oh, he must have, that must have been something he changed. And then when I watched <laughs> the now Lucas accepted version, it's also not there. But it was never there. It's not even it in the It was never film. there. And I can't but, believe but the first that thing I that got ha- it so wrong. It's but, just... interest- but interestingly, yeah, I can't believe you got it that wrong, given that the first thing that, the first time we see Luke in this movie he gets taken down a peg <laughs> for calling that. himself a Jedi exactly. by Jabba the Hutt, nonetheless. Right. <laughs> Jabba is already onto his bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. Um, the opening crawl spoke to me in a, in, in, in a particular way. So this is the, to me, this is the quintessential film that I think about when I think about the final part of a trilogy looping back to the original. You know, mm-hmm. that's one of our big trilogy imbasses, right? Yeah. Or uh, imbats. Im- <laughs> that's an imbat, right? That's one of our big imbats. Um, and it's right there from the first paragraph of the opening crawl, which talks about Luke going back to his home planet. Of course, yeah, right. Of Tatooine. The, only the second time we've heard Tatooine, interestingly, in the whole uh, trilogy. It's never referred to that in uh, in Star Wars or for the majority of Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the each paragraph just kind of builds on that. You know, we've got Death Star 2. Yeah. Um, right. But they're also <laughs> simultaneously trying to up New the ante. New Death Star, who this? Yeah. They're also trying to like up the ante as what, at the same time because they describe it as even more powerful. Even more powerful. And And my favorite is in the third paragraph where it sort of says like, that if this, it, I'm paraphrasing here, but it says if this Death Star, not that they call it a Death Star, it's very interesting that they don't say it's a Death Star. They say it's a you know, this a, new weapon or a new... it's a new weapon station or something. Yeah. Um. That if it becomes functional, then the rebels are done for. Which is interesting. What happens in the, <laughs> later on in the movie when it does become functional and somehow they still have a fighting chance. At that sure. point, according to this opening crawl, the movie should be over about three quarters of the way through. <laughs> right. Because it yes. does become functional, and yet they still win. Yeah. Um, so, it's it's a very sequely piece of writing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, what, is what I'm saying. But I guess, um, the, you know, the thing I wonder about it, too, is it's so sequely, but is it dissatisfying? No. Because it never has been dissatisfying for me. No, I, 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 I've got no feelings about it. I think it works perfectly well for the movie you're about to see. Yeah. In term, I mean, the only big difference I see from the previous scrolls is that we don't seem to have the same kind of ellipsis or time lapse as we had between Star Wars and mm. an Empire. 
It feels like we're just sort of picking up from where well, we left off. I don't think we're picking up where we left off, but I think there's well, a happened? shorter I think there's a shorter bit of time in the duration. But what's happened apart from, you know, constructing most of a Death Star, which constructing the in Death the Star prequels and, takes like 20 years. And Lando has ingratiated himself within Jabba's palace. Interestingly, you have no problem with this given all we've said about building enterprises in previous <laughs> series. <laughs> They put up a Death Star pretty fucking quickly in the time it took for the for the Alliance fleet to get from one See, side I, of the galaxy I, to the other. I give this movie a pass, though, because they could have been building it all through Empire. But they weren't, because no one t- said they were. I don't care. <laughs> I can infer, why sir. Can't, well, why can't you suspend disbelief like that when it comes to and Star Trek And don't even the worry about it, because my pitch don't. is going to take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, your, your head cannon is uh, discriminatory, my friend. I'm saying in Star Trek, there's no fucking way it could have been we, done. I, I thought about this. We don't know, and <laughs> we are not talking about Star Trek on a on a Star Wars <laughs> episode. Except to say, we don't know how how much time passed between the end of the trial and the and when they go to space dock. Could have been a couple of years. No, well, I think I said that on the episode. I don't know why I said that like though. Shatner. Now we're talking about Star Trek. I think I said that on the episode though. Okay, that unless fine. that that time of space right. is five years, I don't think. I'll throw you a bullshit. bone and say the biggest problem here is not that is not the amount of time that it takes to put it up in this trilogy. It's when you get to the prequels and it supposedly takes like twenty years to build a Death Star. That's the that's where the yeah. complications come in, right? Um, but also, I, they I think they serve themselves well by it not being completed too. <laughs> it's not done yet. But this is there's so many incon like compared to the last couple of films, there's so many inconsistencies oh, yeah. here because Absolutely. you know it is basically functional. By the way, do you know why this happened? Because uh, you know a no. complaint. Well, a lack of originality. I don't know. Well, there's that, but there's a co- there's a complaint within the that complaint is for the, the the latest trilogy. Yeah. And starts in here. in these movies, the original Star Wars was not supposed to have a Death Star originally, mm. as he wrote it. It was in this movie, and then he decided to move it up. Yeah. To Star Wars. And he thought, well, now I removed it from Jedi. What am I going to do? Ah, they'll just build another one. <laughs> Good. <laughs> that, it, was, it was that that's and that from, alone. That's from the George Lucas School of Direction. Good exactly. enough. Let's move on. Right. <laughs> of course, any other creative would sort of think, well, let's do some, let's, let's find something even better than a Death Star, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but you see, how that, you see how that goes in the latest trilogy. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, you're, I use the word creative, so it's not comparable. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, and speaking of, you know, imbasses, we, as soon as the crawl's over, we we get like a greatest hits package of mm-hmm. Star Wars. Falling down in space, the Death Star, an underview of a Star Destroyer. Yeah. This movie is setting out his stall as... Um, every kind of sequel you could imagine. <laughs> sure. In a way, you know, and, and that's one of the satisfying elements of it, that it's unabashed. And 
let's let's remember that they it thought does... this was going to be the last ever Star Wars movie. Yeah, right. So they're going. They're doing full greatest hits. They're basically remaking the original. Um, but it also feels uh, these movies are built within the serial formula, and so in that way, it it feels like it fits. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think we're going forward serially in any sense. I really think we're we've no, yeah, we've gone yeah, full I get, yeah. This is where you this is where you get into the idea of ring theory, that you know George Lucas's trilogies kind of work as a, mm-hmm. a better as a circle than a than a straight line. Um, and again, you know, I don't want I don't want to go back to this because it backfired spo- so spectacularly the first time, but <laughs> is you know the the one of the shoot one of the biggest criticisms of the Force Awakens is that it's a remake a beat by beat remake of Star oh, Wars. Star Wars, yeah. I'd argue this film is just as much that. Yeah, but this uh... it's very what we now would now call fan service. Very much so. Yeah. Okay. But this also feels like it's doing that sequel thing of it's uh, it's what you've seen before. But we're raising the bar. Or, you but know we never I mean? do. Not in a significant way. Oh, I, I got... Not, there's, not, there's, not in a significant way, no, no. But It's not inventive and imaginative in the way it is in Empire. Correct. So you're going to see, you know, you're going to see a cantina scene, essentially. You're going to see a 30-minute cantina scene is what you're right. going to see. <laughs> and... But uh, if you mean by upping the ante, extending the running time, I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) But what I mean, my original point was going to be. Yeah, you're seeing new creatures, but they don't necessarily feel. Better or, you know, than than the original cantina creatures. Oh, I think they I think significantly they do. No, no, I don't mean. I don't mean in terms of uh, uh, the puppetry itself or the makeup itself. That's all better. Well, I mean his characters as well. Okay. These are, these are some of my favorite aliens coming up. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, but but they feel. I don't know. It felt more organic in the hmm. cantina scene to me. Well, it's shorter. Maybe that that's helps. why. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm, I don't want to diss this movie too much. Something that we we so we start out with a hell of a lot of security code protocol, sure. right? And as you watch it, you're going, I really hope this pays off narratively because it's a lot of detail to go into. And this being a good movie, it does. Yeah. Once you get to the prequels, we'll go into this level of protocol, and it will never pay off. <laughs> so that's a huge difference, right? Okay? That is where this is significantly superior to the kind of storytelling. I mean, it's it's all part of the same, you know... I, I feel like the prequels are constantly setting things up that never happen. Mm-hmm. But this kind of setup does pay off in, in a big way. It's a huge story point, this security code. Uh, right. And, um, the We get a very grandiose entrance for Vader. Yeah. He comes out of smoke again, so that's a little bit of a callback, but because there are so many people there waiting for him, mm-hmm. and the smoke is 
more than he got in the last two films. It right. also feels like we're upping the ante. Well, and it's also this movie uh, kind of delivers, you know, deliver. Well, it, it it makes a promise and then delivers on that promise in terms of the emperor is going to show up. I think and... of that as less of a promise as more like the end of Vader. Yeah, as we know him, you know. because as soon as he says the emperor is not as forgiving as I am, it's like, oh, you're a henchman again. You're That's what true. You, you're what you were in Star Wars. There's a there's a new bad guy in town. But we've been we've been we spent the whole movie seeing this person in hologram form. Mm, yeah. And you know, it's sort of been this thing that's been kind of carried along for two movies right. of this sort of ultimate villain right. that we're You're finally right. going to meet. It's and of course, the actor yeah. delivers on making him just delicious and fun to watch. It's, uh, I mean, it's a, I was, uh, yeah, from that point of view, it's actually very good serial storytelling because mm-hmm. he's been, you know, he's been mentioned in every movie. Yeah. And half seen in one of the movies. Um, I just think it's it's a disappointing it it very much it just sort of cuts off uh Darth Vader's development as a villain at that point. He's sort of a kind of irrelevant for the rest of the movie as a leader. As a leader he is, but he's he's a more interesting character cuz I not well, for not for a I mean, while no, though. There's there's a yeah. there's parts of this movie where he's just like an anxious middle manager. He's just coming in Right. To see the emperor is like just checking everything. I told you to, I told you to stay on the okay. command ship. Like, I know you've got this big plan and you don't have to go into detail on it, but I'm just a little bit worried because I don't quite know the details of it. Right. Speaking of which, uh, we have a new British theatre actor mm-hmm. playing an imperial officer, uh, Moff <laughs> Jared. Uh huh. Um, and I really wish they'd have given they'd have done an Admiral Piat on this guy and given him I mean you know there's a lot in that first scene because he's of, so good in that first scene yeah. and then you get we a just set, never real see sense him of again. his character yeah well it's interesting there is a deleted scene which kind of follows up on oh that. really because they they set up a sort of triangular hierarchy between him Vader and the Emperor gotcha and that does develop in this deleted scene because it's just before Vader that scene I just talked about where Vader goes in to see the Emperor Mm-hmm. You know, say, just checking in, just seeing how things are going. I haven't heard anything for a while. <laughs> um, and it's even more like that outside, because Moff Jared is like, we don't... He says something like, we don't need you. You're not required here. So, like, Moff Jared gets in between him and the Empire, which is a really interesting wow. development of that relationship. Um, I kind of get why they cut it out, but... I mean, that scene already has that dimension without the prelude mm-hmm. like you can see all that when he talks to the empire that their that their hierarchy has changed the power has shifted mm-hmm. um but i love the idea of this guy you know getting in the middle of it and we have a, a you know a fleshed out imperial officer like admiral Piet, who is also in this movie but is really just yeah. there ornamentally right um uh see <laughs> The, yeah, the, I mean, again, another classic example of looping back to the original film. Oh yeah, C three C three PO and R two D two in, in the a, desert, in a, the Tatooine. valley of a desert. Yeah, giving us exposition, 
and recapping the, what happened at the end of the last film. So mm-hmm. not only not only are they where they were at the beginning of Star Wars, right. they also have the same function as storytellers and audience surrogates. Right. And there's a, actually there's another deleted scene right before this, um, which shows Luke creating his lightsaber in a cave with R2-D2 and C-3PO and sort of sending them off. So the scene was supposed to begin with them coming out of a cave in which Luke was there and he just Present. made yeah hmm. um i definitely prefer this yeah yeah opening to the scene um and you know they're talk they're, they're talking about Jabba the Hutt who who's another great is like the emperor we've we've heard about Jabba in right yeah movie. exactly but and they deliver on that promise that yeah, puppet's it's amazing like, we're fine, like with the Emperor, we're finally seeing characters we've heard about but only glimpsed. Yeah. And as they're kind of entering the palace, I think the pace and the style in which we're doing this tells us this is going to be slow going and also oh, full, yeah. of, full of weird aliens and robots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, once again, like the beginning of Star Wars, they're droids on an errand with a hidden agenda. Um... And very much a callback. Very much a callback. He's even got a RTD two even has a hologram ins- message inside him. Right. Yeah. Um, now they again, know how to use it. But it's up. <laughs> but we're up in the ante because it's a better hologram. There you go. Thanks to industrial light and magic. Love it. Um, something. Yeah, I we really... get, we get, we get. You know, we get the front door. We get a little droid torture. We. <laughs> <laughs> Something I really appreciate about Jabba's Palace, which, you know, is an interesting way to start the movie, <laughs> at the length it is. Um, like we understand. What, is that what's... whole thing? I mean, is the is the whole Jabba's Palace? Because I mean, we're clearly the first act is Jabba. Yeah, it's thirty minutes of the movie, and that's it. Yeah, exactly thirty minutes of the but... movie. Without any cross cutting, which I don't think we've done before. Like I don't right, think exactly. a we, self-contained sequence. We start cross cutting later, and I think I mentioned that in our ranking episode where that doesn't really happen until in earnest until act three of the Even this movie. in Star Wars even on Tatooine in Star Wars, I think we cut away to what's going on in space sooner than we do here. Mm-hmm. This is like I mean, you could literally cut out this sequence as it is. And have it as a teaser episode for the book of Boba Fett. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I mean? You're like, yeah. <laughs> it would. It, it feels like a you know a tel- an episode of a TV show. Mm-hmm. In length, style, uh, it 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 works. You know, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end of its own. Well, and so is that one of the things that makes the movie weak for you? I think it's pros and cons. Yeah. I have a lot of good things to say about this. The first one is... Because the once... sequence itself, yeah. there's so much in it to enjoy. It, it, it feels... It, it's... But it makes the movie a little bit clunky on the whole, I think. I, agree, like... I, would, I would agree with that. But I have a lot of good things to say about it. And the first one is that when we get into the palace... And this is just good storytelling, I think. We understand the hierarchies immediately. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The gut, we know we know that there's the the big pig, fortuna uh, we got the pigmen we got yeah big right fortuna is the major domo and jabber is the you know the king of you know the um the king you of ha- them all you kind of have the court jester 
Yeah, yeah. Salacious Crumb is the court jester. You got the yeah. slave girl. Um, I I think the atm- atmospherically it's really good. I like yeah. that it's dimly lit and there's a lot of smoke. I do wonder how much of that is to hide uh, inferior puppetry, but I definitely Agreed. it works both ways. Um, and you know this is a callback to the original because the original movie took its time to start. You know, by this time in Empire, we yeah, already had true. a monster. We already had a monster attacking Luke. Mm-hmm. So that <laughs> you can compare and contrast, right? Um, yeah, and we find <laughs> we find Han Solo where we left him, frozen in carbonite. Uh, we're very much picking up the characters in the same predicament we left them in. There's not much sense that anything other than intricate planning. Yeah, the, exactly. the details of which I'm still a little blurry about has, has taken place since we last saw our heroes. Uh, so it's almost like time has frozen. Right? Yeah. It's just like we've all been in the carbonite with Han Solo. Right. <laughs> since right. since the end of Empire. Um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned droid torture. That's kind of my next note. Torturing the gonk droid. And these are all legacy droids as well. These are all droids we've seen, I think, in certainly in Star Wars. Star but, Wars, yeah. But I think we've seen them. I think we see them at the beginning of Empire as well. And it's kind of increasingly sinister how the how we're depicting uh, the treatment of droids. But yeah. it also seems far more cartoonish. Like it's a really weird. It's a weird mix. It's a weird mix. Like you know, because tor- I my note is com- it's torturous comedy. Yeah, I put robot masochist as 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 comedy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and what you know, once again, we're calling back to the you know the the droid salvage from the with the Jawas in Jawas, the original yeah. movie, but here done as torture porn, which is <laughs> like I put here that this is you know this is I don't know is it is it. Is it possible that this this is a too inventive twist on the formula? <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe is this going too far or not going far enough? I don't quite know. Yeah, uh, it's a very memorable scene. <laughs> like, Can't I'm never going to forget it. Also, Richard Marquand is the voice of the um, yes, the right. snippy droid. Yeah, you're a feisty little one, but you'll soon learn some <laughs> respect. Um. It also always kind of bothered me during the torture that, except for the extreme close-up, you can see the machinations of the effect, because the Mm. hot iron is not really touching the feet, but you can see the steam shooting out of the feet. It takes me out of it for a moment. Okay. Uh, Like, I get, you know... Well... (laughs) I I understand how they did it, you know what I mean? And I... So... Well, thanks for... Thanks for... um... Thanks for the segue. Uh, okay. Because taking, speaking of taking you out of it, this is where the special edition comes in hot. Well, okay. You know what? Let's take a break. Because <laughs> we got too much to talk about in the differences. The beginning of this movie and the ending of this movie are so vastly different mm-hmm. when you talk about original to special yeah. editions. So why don't we... Yeah. Take a break and then we'll come back and talk about it in earnest because it's too big a conversation. <laughs> Sound good? <laughs> Sounds great. All right. We'll be right back, everyone.
Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out To A T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. To A T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing Return of the Jedi, a 1983 film. I guess mostly directed by Richard Marquand? Yeah, mostly. <laughs> well, if It's a bit like, you know, yes, I can if Frank Sinatra says it's okay. Yeah. I think it's a, directed by Richard Marquand if George Lucas says it's okay. Right. <laughs> can, can Richard come out and play? Uh, when last we left, we were, we were getting to this uh, Jabba's uh, palace scene and kind of talking about the difference between the original and the, you know, special edition. And so I, we know, of course, you said smoke them if you got them when we started this whole yeah. series. And, and I watched the originals mm-hmm. and then going back and watching the special edition, it's jarring. Well, I don't know what happens on on your copy of the when you watch the special edition, but uh, th- something happened where um, it got mixed up with the deleted scene from Monsters Inc. I don't know if you had the same thing. <laughs> yes, it's very much like that. But it's, uh, no, I don't, yeah, it's, I don't. It's, I, it's, it's what's amazing to me is that you have drawn over my films. Yeah. <laughs> What's amazing is that get your get your marker pen off my film, yeah. George. I mean, <laughs> that's how it comes across. When yeah. it it comes across as egregious, it's very yeah. In the sense of I don't know how George Lucas saw this final cut kind of put together and said, "We're done. Send it." It's egregious and gratuitous because there is extra Boba Fett. Extra Boba Fett for no narrative reason that I can think. And I kept wondering, was that originally shot or did they go back? No, they went back. That's terrible. And they they went back to the slave lady as well. Like the the all the close up footage of her is uh, from the late nineties. Um, it's the same woman, I believe, yeah. as was in Jedi, and she—I guess she'd aged well enough to kind of look it pretty much the same. And that's not the problem. I'm—I'm I'm all for that. You know, you want to—if she looks like the same person, you want to go and reshoot a few things. That I don't have a problem mm-hmm. with that. Um, that's not what's jarring to me. Again, as with Empire, 
uh, you know the the rare moments that George the CGI the CGI new, there's new band oh well this I mean that's obviously it's a monstrosity Members? the Chicago blues bar yeah. Monsters Inc thing but it the shots that they add of the slave girl going down into the rancor pit and seeing her down there it really interferes with the building of tension and atmosphere. We're not supposed to see what's down right. there because that spoils the reveal of the rancor later on in of the course. film. Um, and also, you know, like, if you if you are go Not that you should. If you are going back to do a special edition, how about you fix that cut that makes it look like that girl shrinks and then jabberates her? <laughs> that cut's still in there. You know what I'm talking yes. about, right? Just, just the nature of the cut, like it's like you know, uh, what do you what do you call it? Like Russian, <laughs> like Russian montage cinema. You know, you can make anything happen if you do the right, right. cut. And accidentally, they put two shots together that make it look like the girl goes down in the pit. She somehow shrinks, comes back up into, into Jabba's little, cup, and his he little, eats uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fix that. Right. Put something in between that that breaks up that weird cinematic illusion. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic uh, but even even the special edition can't um take away from how incredible a piece of puppetry java is yeah i mean you know you can look behind the scenes as like 20 odd people operating right. java but, but it reminds me that, of our talk of yoda in the last episode yeah it's, it's, it's exactly the, same the same level of amazing work decades later the verisimilitude of the creature has not dated right exactly it's so painstakingly created that they've never been able to reproduce this in i was any just gonna say media. you know what looks completely dated every time you see it when you see jabba in star wars yeah but and they've tried i mean like you know even they know that they can't reproduce it because every time you get a new special edition there's a new jabba yeah. and it looks as bad as the last one, just in a just different a, way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then in Book of Boba Fett, they that you know it's not Jabba, but they have some. They other have some huts. huts, but they don't look. They good. don't look good. The only and if they don't look good now, they're never yeah. going to look good, right? I mean, it's sort of like we're at a pretty good stage of CGI practical mm-hmm. uh, melding, and I think we just have to accept that you know. That this puppet is the only way to do Jabba. Yeah. Um, also, and again, and this is not to do with puppetry, we're doing a lot to build the character of Jabba. Yeah. And I like even the first time I saw this, I was pretty sure he's not going to survive another half hour of this film. <laughs> we're doing a lot of character work on this guy. <laughs> I mean, it's great for these scenes. But again, you get you have again. It comes with that sort of bitter aftertaste of right. Is it worth spending all the time on? We know he's gonna get his comeuppance pretty soon. I still like um, it though. Oh, oh! I think it's honestly, it is the most incredible one, of the most incredible achievement. I agree. In puppetry, and actually, I think in, ca- in creature design, I think because because Java is so good, this whole front scene works better than it should it's definitely more compelling yeah. oh also you know I, 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 this is an overall note for me for this entire film mm-hmm. this 
entire film could have become very generic if they didn't stop to add in a few character moments and beats that just really elevate mm-hmm. it. And it starts with Jabba and it goes through to Admiral Akbar and I'm numb. Yeah. Um, even some of the Ewoks. Yeah. Like, without that, it would feel like any other space opera. Yeah, I agree. But they, they're still at the point where they can add in those beats. And of course, you know, Phantom Menace doesn't have any of those no, beats. No, of course not. Um, interestingly, though, the burping frog is one of the moments in the film you'd think was from the special edition, but it's just from the it's original. It's from the movie, original, so. yeah. It's just, you know, it's sometimes it's a matter of degree, not kind, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, what do you think about... Uh... Oh, uh, f- first of all, um, I'm really glad that in all this, you know, this special edition nonsense that they still kept the... Um, Max Rebo's uh, playoff music for Chewbacca. <laughs> so, like, when he's taken away, Max Rebo does... Da, 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 yeah, da, yeah. Da. Da, it's like live from the Apollo Absolutely. as, as uh, um, former guest of the show. Well, and I, I, we might have talked about this before, <laughs> but the changing of the music at the beginning of this movie and the end of the movie, also reprehensible. Yeah. I don't, You know, objectively worse music in both... Yeah. parts of the movie. And music that doesn't doesn't quite like you listen to Lapti Neck, which is the original song that plays in Jabba's mm-hmm. Palace. And again you think like late seventies, early eighties, when you hear this sort of weird Chicago blues throwback. Is it called Jedi Rocks or something like that? Um I don't remember. That they replace it with. It's like, well yeah, that sounds like one of those late nineties blues revivals. So Yeah. It just it it just sounds like the period in which you make the movie. Yeah. It remains as dated. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just dated at a different time period. So why bother? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'd rather this feel like it all came from the same time period than, than it feel like it that came, came from different from, parts of history. Yeah, the, almost the turn of the century. <laughs> exactly. Fuck. Um, what do you think about Leia as a bounty hunter? I loved that. Like when I was a kid. Yeah. I always I mean, thought it was weird, the, though, that this creature was speaking and repeating the same phrase over and over again, but it means different things. Yeah, yeah. That's not so well, this good. Is, like, what, I think this is this is where the child brain and the adult brain start to uh, kind of separate, because, like, I, I to me, this, you know, I never questioned this plan when I was younger. Yeah, exactly. And now it looks like a David Mamet level of, substitu- of subterfuge has gone into essentially going into a room and stealing a 3D painting. Right. That is all they're doing. But also... And yet they've had months to plan this elaborate scenario. Yeah, the... You know, like Kronstein in From Russia With Love. It's, it's like, how many variables can there be? You go in there, you get him out. You fight off whoever tries to stop you. It's that yeah, simple. Yeah, but to me, I always remember thinking it seemed like there was, you know, even back at the end of Empire, you know, I'll meet you on Tatooine. We're going to, you know, like, we're going to, we're really going to plan this to the T. It's going to be the score of scores so that we can get Han yeah. Solo out. And then the second she even puts down the carbonite and it makes a bunch of noise and she looks around, I remember always thinking, this is a terrible plan. Like this is not a good plan. 
Yeah, that also that's the other factor is like this is the best you came yeah. up with. You've had conservatively you've had conservatively two months, uh, generously two years right. to come yeah. up with this plan. I realize however it's long, midnight. However, however might, long it takes to build a Death Star. I realize it's midnight, but you might want to check behind the curtain just see if anybody's awake. <laughs> How about a sleeping agent? You know, a, a, you know, does that mask keep you? You know, like a little smoke bomb that puts everyone to sleep. Then get Han. Yeah. But also, um, the thing that's strange is, is, you know, Luke arrives and was all of this part of his plan? It makes it no, makes sen- no I mean, sense. It, 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 it's, it's like... Because he had planned for <laughs> R2-D2 clearly to be on the barge with his lightsaber. It makes no sense. It's best it makes no sense. It's better not to think about it. It also, it's a little bit like a sitcom where everyone just keeps coming to the yeah. door in stages. Like the Dick Van Dyke show a little <laughs> bit. This is what I mean. It feels like an episode of a TV yeah. show. Like a sitcom called Jabba's Palace. Luke's a Jedi now, but he can't see that he's standing on a trap door. Yeah. Um, the return of Han Solo. Yeah. Uh, it's the moment of the movie. We know Harrison Ford's coming back and he didn't just license the sculpture of his right. face. Uh, Starring Crispin Glover as Han Solo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and I noted here that you know, for all the kind of feisty banter we had in the last film, it's a little disappointing that we go straight into the sap. Like the first thing she says is, someone who loves mm. you. I'm like, mm. it's like, can... <laughs> I mean, it's like, I know Lee Brackett and Lawrence Kasdan aren't around anymore, but right. could we not have just a little bit of a nod to that? Because uh, it's just like romantic melodrama from the get-go. Yeah. And it never stops. I just want a little bit of... And it, ne- and it never stops. Um, although, it, this is... like an, A lot is, you know, in, in fandom, a lot is talked about how underdeveloped Han Solo is in this movie and how when he comes out of the carbonite, he doesn't seem like the same Han Solo right. um, previously. But this is where he kind of consolidates his catchphrase of it's not my fault. <laughs> yeah. This is when it sort of becomes like a real catchphrase for him. And also, and again, you know, giving J.J. Abrams the benefit of the doubt, I always thought he retconned the idea. No, I always thought he retconned the idea that when in Force Awakens, when Han Solo says, you know, this is what I do. I taught my, taught my way out of trouble. I was like, oh, I don't remember that ever happening. This is it. This is what he's thinking. Yeah, about. right. So there's at least one precedent for that. <laughs> As opposed to zero, which is what I used to think. Um, now, I, I'm gonna say, like, I, I want to just put this put this out okay. there, okay? I am the world's biggest ha- Harrison Ford fan. He, you said that Star Wars is the reason you love yeah. movies. Han Solo is the reason I love acting. Yeah. Okay. You go. You. I, I once, when I was a kid, I once won a, I won a prize for poetry, and they interviewed me in the local paper. And it's right there in print. I said, I want to be an actor like Harrison Ford. Oh, that's um, great. So I say this with all bias and admiration. I think his performance in this movie is fine. It's a bit broad. No, I... I uh, but I also, you know, I, I guess the thing I wonder his about... His blind acting is not good. His what? His blind acting is not good. I'll agree with that. He's crossing his eyes at one point to show he's blind. <laughs> but but for me, what I was going to say was, 
His big complaint was always how thinly Han was drawn. Right. In the scripts. I think this might be his thinnest. As sure, written. But he's not meeting the, but he's not meeting them halfway. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um because it so he's talked in interviews about how he always played Han Solo with an edge of Hope and Crosby, you know, mm. like it was a, a like a road movie in space. Yeah. But in this movie, I think less about Hope and Crosby and more about Mr. Magoo and Norman Fell. <laughs> It's a very fine balance, right? Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> and I say that as his, you know, he's one of the greats. He is. And there are... This is not his, fi- this is not his finest moment, however, no. it's a fine moment. Sure. But, but it's funny <laughs> you say that because when I think of the moments where I love Han Solo in this movie, it's... It's the most benign shit. It's... You know, don't get don't don't you know don't get too close, Chewie. I don't know. Fly people casual. Really dis- like people really dislike those scenes. I've never understood it. People really hate that. Stuff. I don't know why. I don't understand why either. I tell but you I something. Also, you know, the pro- other the other line that comes to mind is, uh, well, why don't you use your divine influence and get us out of this? Yeah. But these are you know those. When when those are the signature moments for a character in a movie, you know you're standing on thin ice. I think, and there's yeah. just not enough there for him. True, I think you're right that he's not meeting what is there halfway. But there's not enough there for him that there was in certainly in Empire and and yeah, you know, not even in not Star even Wars, in Star yeah. Wars either. I think something I think is worth the price of admission alone is uh, his reaction to seeing the Ewoks for the first time. <laughs> yes. I mean, he's speak, you know, he maybe he's not meeting the material, but he's meeting the audience. Oh, yeah. With the way he writes, he's like, OK, so this is the rest of the movie, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's what he's saying in that in right. that kind of half laugh right. that he does when he sees he sees an army of teddy bears <laughs> and spears for the first time. Um now he has also speaking of other like of of, com- of other comedians as a Bob New- Newhart style conversation with Chewbacca. Yes. Which is like this kind of in-world catch up for Han. What? Stuff but stuff we already yeah. know. Oh, the cru- crucially we don't have them on screen saying, "Oh, by the way, you know how when you went into Carbonite, you hated Lando Calrissian. Well, he's the guy who's going to get us out of trouble. <laughs> but he obviously does say that to him because by the next, by the time he he's sees saving Lando, Lando, he, he's yeah, he's he's, he's over even it. saying, "Where's Lando?" I thought, yeah. <laughs> why do you care? Um, I love the fact that Luke Skywalker, who is the next uh, special yes. guest to walk through the doors of Jabba's palace. <laughs> Um, he's the titular Jedi who is not a Jedi. Right. It's all fucking smoke and mirrors. <laughs> it's like one continuity we have from Empire is that the film is trying to take Luke down a peg. <laughs> <laughs> the series never fully invests in Luke Skywalker. <laughs> right through to The Last Jedi for that matter. Um, 
And yeah, here we have one of the, like a big callback to the Jedi mind trick. Yeah, that he tries to pull. He pulls it successfully on Bib Fortuna, but not on, but not not on, not on Jabba. Jabba. So it's also an inversion, which is very, very amusing. Um, so amusing, in fact, they they try to do the joke again in Phantom Menace. Yeah. Uh, except longer and without humor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that even Leia is looking at Luke like he dropped the ball on this one. Yeah. It's like there's nothing like a withering look from Carrie Fisher in an to iron tell bikini. You, you're done fucked up. <laughs> Yeah, what do you think about that? This has always been a big thing. This has always been a big thing. I, 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 you know, when I was a kid, I was, I thought she was so beautiful. And she, well, and she was. She is. You know. She was and she yeah. is, yeah. And. Is it, a, is it appropriate? <laughs> like, to, to the story they're in? I'm with you. you know, I go for it. Don't don't hold back on they, my they, account. So I, I'm with you. The thing for me is, people make that argument about Carrie Fisher, but not the woman that with the long, uh, whatever it is, not horns, but you know, to the one that was <laughs> buns. <laughs> yeah, horn. They are more like in your defense, they are more like Soft horns, horns than buns, but they usually refer to as buns. Soft yeah. horns. Soft horns. <laughs> <laughs> Opening for the Lemonheads, yeah. soft horns. But nobody's making that argument for that actor. You know what I mean? And yeah. in world, I think it makes fine sense, and it's you know, an obvious. I think you're dead right. Yeah, I think you're dead on. The fact that it is, I mean, there, there's, there is, you know, there's an element of exploitation of and that you can't deny, and but... that's. But that's she that's, is the replacement slave. Yeah, girl. right. She's the replacement slave. So girl. we've already seen and, and the exploitation I mean part. I think that that's yeah. off screen and on screen and on screen. But because the that's what Jab is doing because the on screen part makes sense. Mm, I can't yeah, get I mad on behalf of what they were also trying to do off screen. <laughs> but this is what I mean about. The character work they're doing with Jabba, which is kind of all for naught because he dies in about 10 minutes. But <laughs> they go to the extent of showing you. And again, this is just good storytelling, like with regards to power. He wields power through sex. Yeah. We saw that with the girl. Like, basically, it's implied that he, he says, all right, now I'm going to have sex with you. And she's like, I'd rather be eaten by a dinosaur. Right. Um, <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> uh, so the fact that that that's set up that way, she's the replacement slave girl. It all it feels organic in a way that, um, that even though you know it's just trying to titillate the right. viewer, and of course the way it ends up with her taking a revenge yeah, on exactly. the predator. But I'm not going to give it a pass. But it's more complicated than it might look when you just see her. In Absolutely. Basically, na- basically. When you naked. see a still photo. Yeah. With the you know words of you know what the fuck. Yeah. I I think it's there's a longer conversation to be had than that. I agree. I agree. And it's not one that isn't without back and forth. Right. But there's there's more to it than you than you might think. Um. <laughs> Oh no, the rancor. Yeah. Uh oh here I'm just gonna say it, biggest best monster yet. 
Yeah. Love it. Pure schlock. Pure, pure schlock, but you also, I love after Luke kills the Rancor monster, you get that... W- Moment of pathos. Oh, it's great. Love it. Yeah, I mean, my note here is that... Even, the, even the monsters have one person that love them. But this, but that's what Elevate says. Like, the Rancor Keeper crying at the death of the Rancor. Which, by the way, I think monsters are always better when they're a little bit cute. And the Rancor has a baby face <laughs> that is like no other. It looks like a, like a pug dog. It yeah. does, it does. Um... But that's what elevates it, because that moment of pathos and mourning for the monster recalls to me the best monster movies. Right. It's like the end of King right, Kong. Right, 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 right. You know, where you're like, it's like, yeah, we kind of needed to deal, because he, you can't have him running around New York like that, but it's sad we had to kill right. him. <laughs> exactly. And that's what it feels like here. <laughs> and, you know, many people have said that this is the most emotionally... <laughs> affecting in moment the whole in the movie, movie, which perhaps doesn't speak well for the movie. I disagree with that, by the way, but... I disagree with that, too. But, um, again, it's one of those character beats and moments that stops this from being pure yeah. serial... But it's funny, because, I mean, you're, you're hitting on... Because my exact note was the Ranker monster, let's talk about effects, and, you know, all of it is done so well. I mean, if you want to up the ante on the Wampa... Yeah, right. You're, you're, you've, you've done, done it. it. You've succeeded. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting about it as a set piece for me is that, you know, if you take, if you look at the whole trilogy, it's a pretty incidental conflict. Yeah, right. right. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it's like, it's not like Luke has been been pursued by the Rancor for the last two right. movies, right? This is And it actually happened. undermines but, things in the movie, like Luke being a Jedi Knight and being able to... Sp- you know, supposed to be yeah. able to see things in the future and predict things. And but he... I mean that, but that's that's purposeful. I think this is again. That's like the the movie doesn't want Luke to have it easy, right? Um, and this is his hero testing moment. You right, know, this right, feels right. like a like a scene straight out of Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. Mm. You know, it feels like they've worked from that template, and so it feels bigger in the storytelling than, than it is when you break it down and think, sure. you know, he fell into a pit. He doesn't know this monster. There's probably a thousand ways you can beat it. Um, but he, com- you know, this is it. He's, this, this is his, this is his kind of hero trial. Yeah. Right. right? I mean, that's, that's what it feels like. So I think it's excellent. I, I absolutely, I love that sequence and you're absolutely right. The button with the Rancor Keeper, uh, who's also in for your, for your eyes only, um, is, <laughs> is, is magnificent. Absol- and is, you know, again, one of those actors that you will find in any 70s or 80s Doctor Who. There you have it. Um, An uh, hour and I four minutes ca- in, minus commercials, everyone. I I find it kind of ironic that C-3PO only does what he's programmed to do when he's being ke- held captive or threatened. Because <laughs> he's basically doing his job for yeah. Jabba. But under duress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, l- I love the fact that Han's sassy patter is still there, but no one else is joining in. Yeah, right. <laughs> he's, he's like, he's almost like, hey, remember in the last film when we were all like back and forth? And everyone's just like, eh, no, we're, we're over mm-hmm. that. Stop trying to make sassy banter happen. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's that kind of feeling. <laughs> um, well, it's because, you know, because... Han is sitting there saying things like, you're going to die here, you know. But Luke's too busy uh, being a, a thoughtful Jedi to 
Yeah, you do. <laughs> I, I really like that exchange. Um, I think that's a really good... It negotiates Luke's character growth. With the history that the two of them have had in the series, yeah, you're not, yeah, you're not like, wrong. It's really nicely done. I like the fact again that, like, you know, the 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 scene completely undermines Luke's point of mm-hmm. view because he's like, you know, it's all taken care of, and Han's like, oh great, mm-hmm. right. Um, uh, <laughs> this was another another special edition piece of chicanery. Uh, extra banter. Panthers, yeah, okay. Doesn't add anything. No, of course not. The shot was never designed to show us the wildlife of Tatooine. <laughs> we were just supposed to go straight to the we're barge. We're just seeing the fucking barges on the sand. That's all we need. Yeah. I love the fact that, um, as in the Although, original Star Wars... Although, interestingly, bat- sorry to interrupt, but the the barges on the sand, they're worse effects than even, you know, Luke's speeder in the original Star Wars. It doesn't look mm. as good. It's yeah, okay. But I mean it's a minor quibble, but it's a it, yeah, it's I don't know. This this sequence is kind of schlocky enough that it kind of gets yeah. away with it. I yeah, think. you're probably right about that. Um as in Star Wars, the bands that play in the Tatooine gin joints only have one song that they repeat at nauseam. Yes, right. Max Rebo's still doing, doing their da 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 you know, his like opening bars of too hot to handle. Which is all he, apparently he knows, um, and they get a reunion of the droids. Yeah, they've yeah, been apart they... for ten minutes. <laughs> it's like the whole of Empire of done all in the gin joints in all the world. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. My my Sarlacc pit was also drawn over. Um, why? Why? Why would anybody take the great work that's done in the original movie and then add yeah. Audrey two? from Little Shop of Horrors <laughs> to it and think this is a good idea. Am I wrong in thinking that the threat of the Sarlacc pit was always that we didn't see the Sarlacc? Yeah, right. That, yeah. We, just, that we just we just saw the, like, the, the vagina. <laughs> the, the thorned vagina of it. The thorned vagina, you know, the vagina dentata. <laughs> um, and we didn't know what's inside. Yeah. Of course, this is not a lesson that we've learned. Like, the Book of Boba Fett begins inside the fucking Sarlacc pit. Which, ironically, is the best moment of that entire series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, (laughs) that doesn't say much for the series. This is, it's really interesting to me, the the build-up to the, uh, to the, I don't know what you call it. Conference. The onslaught. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The nodding... And the music and the reaction shots has been parodied both by Family oh, Guy yeah. and also Lego Star Wars. Sure. But it still, to me, reads as cool in a 10-year-old kid Yeah, way. absolutely. Like, it's ridiculous. There is way too much nodding. The fact that every time anyone nods, it goes, done. Yep. Done. Like, I get it. I get why you would parody it. But I can still I can still tap into that kid Oh, brain absolutely. Where I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Little salute from Luke. Uh, yeah, you're, you're see, you know, it it really latches on to the ten year old brain. Yeah, in the sense of, I mean, he's going to. <laughs> I mean, we probably tried this in swimming pools, you know, <laughs> like where you turn yeah. around and grab this the diving board and see how far back up you could get or something. We got the local fat yeah, kids exactly. to stand at the side of the pool, throw us something. <laughs> 
that we can grab like it's a lightsaber and and do a flip and you know i mean just all of that shit is is so you know you 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 would build the world as a kid yeah in your own mind of 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 playing that out Ugh. definitely that's how yeah and it still it still feels that yeah. way um despite the mr magoo slapstick and the and the needless waiting around yeah, right like it feels like they could have pulled this punch at any time uh, but it's fantastically shot and edited, and this, you know, this, I, that's where you know I want to give credit to Mark Wand slash Lucas where I can, mm-hmm. um, and this is a great example of that. Like you know, some of the some of the content is a little bit hokey, sure. but the way it's shot and edited is really slick. I think so too. And, and then, overall, it feels like a good sequence. I feel like the other thing we should talk about within this sequence is, of course, Boba Fett's death. Yeah, I mean it's yeah it 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 undermines everything that's good about that character. Yeah. For for the sake of a not very funny joke. Do you remember thinking that when you first saw it too? <laughs> and not for the last time in this yeah, franchise. Right. Carry on, sorry. I was just gonna say. I was gonna ask though. Did you feel like that when you saw it as a kid? No. Okay, me neither. No, it all kind. I mean, it it all kind of. Yeah, I I think again it's like it's it's hard to separate. If this was the one, if this was a one-time deal, you could just go, all right, sure. Mm-hmm. But you know that that Lucas thinks this is the funniest thing he's ever seen, right? And then probably like watches that in the editing room and goes off and draws Jar Jar. Right, I mean that's that's how it feels to me. That's how I feel the timeline goes. You know what I mean? It's that sort of. That's the problem. It, it, right. It's like if, and this is the thing I keep saying. Probably I'll, this is this is my one. This is the headline for both of the film, both of these films. Is if all of it was a one-time deal, it would all work perfectly. Sure. Um, but it never is. Right. It's a twenty, thirty-time deal, and that's the that's the problem. Uh, Leia takes on Jabba, apologizing for exploiting her sexually mm. by having a killer predator. Yes like it um lando i'll tell you something something that i'll, I'll never unhear lando scream <laughs> it's him and james brown out on their own limb as far as i'm concerned <laughs> it's like a full it's like i don't know how many octaves oh, it is funny. but it goes yeah it goes it goes up and down it's incredible <laughs> and you know what it's and then you know and he has a great line it's like wait wait i thought you were blind yeah. Um, just a little higher, just little, a little higher. It's these little stupid character moments that prevent it just from becoming one note, I think. No, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's not the, the the needless slapstick might be tied up with this, but actually their impulse is right to add in a little moment between characters mm-hmm. here. It just doesn't have to end with a slapstick accident. Um, Leia and Luke Big swing laughs, on a rope. Though. Like when we first saw it, yeah. Um, Leia and Luke swinging on the rope. I mean, yeah, where'd that thing come from? Fan service. I mean, that's pure fan service, isn't it? To to Star Wars. Yeah, of course. I, my note here is that because they think this is the last film, they have the license to do that. Like it mm-hmm. makes th- this is the last chance to. Well, make like that you callback. said, it's a George Lucas circular storytelling. 
Um, but very, I mean, very on the nose. Like there is, yeah. You know, we we so much of modern franchise media is drowning in fan service, and you can't say that this is not that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might did not you bother always, us as much, did you also, but it's the same thing. Did you also always have a sense of, you know, the barge is going to explode, and they need to get away quick. Did you ever have a sense that they were going to get away quick, and then somebody in the room said, what about the droids? And so they had to add, and don't forget the droids. Yeah, well, this is another... This this is another... I think it's like... And I guess the, the Ewoks is like the the pinnacle of this. We're trying to be more family-friendly. Mm-hmm. But weirdly, we're also getting bloodier. It's a really weird mix. Yeah. I suppose it's no accident that next year you get Temple of Doom, because that has the same sort of like... Yeah, absolutely. More, but more family friendly, also gorier. It's sicker, it's going to involve a child now. But we're gonna yeah. we're gonna we're gonna torture a child. But we're you know, we'll, we'll have like monkey brains like... and hearts torn out of chests and yeah. It's interesting because what is be- what has become internet fan theories about Star Wars started out, and I'm sure you know this as school playground conversations about the films. Sure. When you didn't have them to go back to and refer to, so anything that anyone said about them, you'd buy. Right. Because you basically it's your word against theirs. <laughs> and for me, this when the barge explodes, I do remember someone in the in the school playground saying, you know, you can see bits of Jabba. As the barge explodes there. That's amazing. And that stays with me to this day. I'm still looking for bits of Jabba when that barge explodes. <laughs> like but it's in really Jaws interesting. 3D? Like, it's really interesting to me that we, we have the same conversations about properties like Star Wars mm-hmm. in exactly the same way. And yet we have we have a medium that could immediately prove or disprove yeah right any of this we can watch the films whenever we want and yet people still say ridiculous shit about them that is clearly not on screen mm-hmm. it's fantastic i just think it's like we've gone nowhere as a fandom <laughs> and we have every reason to develop and change our bad habits oh, i love it um well so with the with 35 minutes in the film i'll just say 37 had- minutes in and we've had one set piece. Right. So this film is really pinning its success to bigger and fewer sequences. Correct. And luckily they're very good sequences. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think that's the only thing to that's the only reason this film succeeds is that it it takes its shot when it needs to. Um Yeah, it's I like a, the it's, a, it's such an interesting bird this movie in that way. Yeah. Cause you've got to get you've got to get those sequences right, yeah, or this movie, or this movie is, crumbles. Right. Um, I really like the line: "The alliance should be assembled by now," because that what that line's telling me <laughs> is that what we've just seen is all just killing time. Yes. <laughs> it's like the stand-up comedian who you know, like when someone comes in late, it's like, I, it's like "Oh, I was just killing time until you got here." Yeah. That's what that's what the Jabba's Palace sequence. The, feels alli- like. the alliance wasn't waiting for you to go save Han. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
And then, you know, we have IOU one calling back to lines from, from the first and the second first and part, second bringing movie, the trilogy yeah. together. Nice serial stuff. Luke's mechanical hand is wounded. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which tells we'll, us that... I'll get, again, we'll call back uh, to that yeah, later. It's thema- it's, yeah, it's thematic and symbolic yeah. for the rest of the movie. But it's also a recap of the last film. And just, you know, answers a logistical question of... Because uh, we see him get shot. Yes. On the bar. We see his hand get shot on the barge. But apparently like, oh, it didn't short circuit the hand. <laughs> no. It just melted the skin. Um, the fake skin. The fake skin, yeah. Uh, and then, then we get our first wipe to the Empire. Yeah, I mean... After the... After the well, not a cold open, but it feels like a cold open. <laughs> of the of Vader greeting. Of Vader going to the Death Star. Right. Uh and we have, you know, exactly the same shot for the Emperor's arrival. Yeah, exactly. Me. I mean, this is one of the moments where you could accuse uh, this film of a lack of imagination and variation even within the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first physical appearance of the Emperor. Yeah. Uh, he arrives literally shrouded in mystery. Face <laughs> yes. is shot in fragments. In, yeah. I really love But the- I like that. I really love the way Mark Wand slash Lucas um, shoots uh, the Emperor in this film. Yeah, absolutely. I think he he finds all the right angles, the right distance of the camera to his face mm-hmm. at the right time. Uh, but yeah, he's introduced as an enigma. Um, and yet with his kind of laugh and his walking stick, much more of a kind of space opera serial villain Absolutely. than we've perhaps been used to. Sure. Uh he's you know, Ming the Merciless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> With a little bit of Victorian melodrama there you thrown go. in. Um Well I tell you what, why don't we let's take another break. Cause sure. we've we finished the first act of this movie and we're about to press forward, so Damn it. We'll uh we'll, we'll take a break everyone and then we'll come back. Huh? Sound good? Yeah, we've covered the first. We've covered the first scene of the movie. We're good. Yeah, done. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. It's not my fault that scene is thirty-seven minutes long. <laughs> we'll be right back. I like to think I know something about beer. But nowadays, even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need. The Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer.
Hold, hold, hold. Hang on a second there. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, Michael Schantz here from the Everything Sequel Podcast. And just like last week, we're splitting the episodes up for Return of the Jedi. So once again, stay tuned for the exciting conclusion of Two Men Talking About Star Wars. That's coming up next week. <laughs>